0: What's good? How we doing? What is going on? What's cracking, everybody? I wanted to give a shout-out and some recognition. This is a story that I actually broke broke my first major college football story on my podcast the other day with Coach Ryan McCormick. Ryan McCormick came on my, my show to talk about all things college football, westerly bulldog, football-related, and he also dropped the news that UMass sophomore defensive back Jacob Burkhead was named on Wednesday afternoon to the 2018 Google Cloud National Division III Academic All-American Football Team, which is selected by the College Sports Information Directors of America. Burkhead collected second-team academic All-American accolades and becomes just the second student in school history to earn the prestigious honors. Burkhead is a native of Plymouth, Massachusetts and a graduate of Plymouth North High School. Burkhead has achieved a perfect 4.0 GPA as a political science major at the university He's also a two-time Chancellor List honoree, and he has been tabbed to the Massachusetts State Collegiate Athletic Conference Fall All-Academic Team for his performance in the classroom. As he joins former women's cross-country and track and field standout, Dina Bilby from the class of 2008 as the only two cross ever to be recognized as academic All-Americans. Really, this is an incredible honor and one that I'm sure he's grateful to receive. Burkhead said an award like this is more important than any performance-based honor because it truly highlights the meaning of the term student-athlete. And he's very humbled to receive this recognition on behalf of his family, the football program, and the University, a first-team All-MASCAC selection this season after earning the nod as the league's Defensive Rookie of the Year in 2017, and Burkhead paced UMass dotman with 65 total tackles, 49 on his own, while leading the team in interceptions and pass breakups with seven one of 59 Division III student-athletes, nominated last week for the prestigious Cliff Harris Award presented annually to the nation's top small college defensive players. Jacob was tabbed as the MASCAC Geico Defensive Player of the Week back in October 22nd after a pair of picks, two pass breakups, and three tackled in a 41-27 win over Worcester State, in 20 career contests, in a Corsair uniform, Burkhead has amassed 130 total stops, with 93 and 9 total pass breakups to go with his 4 interceptions, I mean the team has to be proud about this kid, when the head coach was asked about his latest achievements, he said that he's been an outstanding on both sides of the ball, on and off the field, and he's incredibly unselfish, a hard-working young man. His commitment to this university, the classroom, and our football program, and his family is unwavering, and I can't wait to see his future accomplishments. I mean, given the intense time, commitment, and challenges that these student-athletes really make and face on and off the field, how can we be any prouder and happier for Jacob Burkhead to receive this award. I mean, it's a national honor. It goes for academic promise, and it makes this kid's story even better. This is what colleges want in a student athlete. High school players, the ones that listen, this is the kid you want to watch. If you listen to my podcast, the coach said if I have a message for Westerly Bulldog football students. I would tell them to hit the gym, hit the classrooms, and be careful what you post on your social media. Burkhead is only one of 51 three division schools to be named to this year's Google Cloud National Academic All-American Team, and he's the lone MAS CAC representative and just one of three players from New England institutions. One was from MIT. The other was Springfield. And UMass Dotman can now be in that conversation. Well, thanks for listening. Shout out to the UMass Dotman football team. Shout out to Jacob Burkhead. Shout out to Coach Ryan McCormick. And if you want to get on the podcast, let me know. Can we keep it real? 40 at gmail.com. Thanks for attending another segment. Today we have a very, very special guest. Nice guy. I had a privilege of meeting him this season, and I'm glad I did. Coach Ryan McCormick, UMass Dartmouth. How you doing today, Coach? Good morning. How you doing? All right. It's a pleasure to have you on. We had you on the live stream during the Thanksgiving game football, and I thank you. And People like, oh, my God, how did you get Coach McCormick to get on Your live stream, you 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 know, and I say he's just a great guy. You know, he reached out to me, and we just became friends through Facebook. But it's a fascinating thing that you do with the kids. I notice you stay on top of a lot of high school games throughout the the states. What is UMass Dartmouth program about?
1: All right. So first of all, um, UMass Dartmouth is part of the UMass system. It's uh, one of the top public school systems in the country for colleges. Um, The UMass system. Only has two football teams. They have the UMass Amherst football team, which plays up at the, the largest level of college football, FBS, and UMass Dartmouth, who play in Division III. Um, we've had football here since the early 80s, and I joined the staff back in the spring of 2014 as I came on to UMass. I've been coaching college football for 19 years. Uh, the university is what's called a Tier 1 National um, Research University, which is a categorization. U.S. News World Review and Princeton Review rank schools. It's a very elaborate 15-item ranking system. They rank schools public and private, and they rank them in three, three categories. You either rank nationally, regionally, or N.R., which means not ranked. So it's very important for parents to know that. That's has to do with quality of the school and quality education and return on investments as far as getting jobs, going on to post-grad stuff, things of that nature. So we're ranked we're nationally ranked. We got
0: the national ranking 2 years ago. Oh wow, that's very uh, impressive. Now I also hear you say that, you know, every everyone wants their kids to go to NCAA and you made a statement a few weeks ago um I on wanted to post that I that I put that the percentage is really really low to get into an NCAA college and you also said they don't have division 1 um the poem is in Division Two. The 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 poem is. What's the difference between NCAA and a Division Three school? Well, all
1: all of college football is NCAA, Mike. So they you have you have technically, and they've broken up technically into four divisions. There's Division One, Two, II, and Three technically in all sports, but in the world of football, they've broken it down much more intricately. So you have at the top level FBS, for example. um... And you have like schools like B.C., Notre Dame. Those schools are categorized as FBS. And FBS has 85 full headcount scholarships. That means they're full scholarships. They can only give up to 85 in the program. Um, they're only renewable year to year. And they, they cover everything from books to your school to your to name. It It covers everything. Um, the next level is called FCS. It's part of Division One, it, And it's, it's levels like the CAA, the conference that URIs, and that's FCS. So it's still Division One, um, but it's a, it's a, it's their own like sub league of Division One because they, and FCS only has a max of sixty three what they call equivalencies. What that means is you can only have up to sixty three, you know, full scholarships, but the equivalency of the in state rate. So, or if you're a private school, your total rate. But they can break them up into partials, and usually they do that. Now, not every school has a 63 at FCS. Some have 40, some have 50, some have 63. It's based on their own conference rules. So there is some disparity of, of the scholarships, and they're not all full. Most of them are partials. So, you know, a lot of times they'll take, say, the school costs 20 grand a year, and that's the total cost. They'll take that one of those 63 and make them to the two halves. A ten thousand dollars scholarship for one kid, ten thousand dollars for another. And people got to know that there's, and there's not that many schools in FCS. There's barely a hundred. And then Division two, which gives out athletic scholarships, are also called equivalencies. They're not full full head counts. They can only have a max up to forty eight is the number. So and most schools have between high twenties and low forties. There's very few that actually have the full forty eight. Um, that's what they're allowed to have. So, but you got to understand on a football roster, college. A lot of teams have between low end. 98 kids, high-end, almost 140 kids in the roster. So when you look at that, over four or five classes, some kids have to medically redshirt with an injury in the course of four years. They have a fifth year, or they redshirt a kid the first year you build them up. That's not a lot of scholarships. to are kids even on the roster. So um, Division 3 we're not bound by athletic scholarships. It's more merit money, which is based off your grades, need-based money, grant money, and, um, and then academic money. So merit could be also... Uh, in, like, what what type of curriculum you do. So, if you want to go into, say, pre law, pre med, and you have great scores in, say, the sciences, well, you might need a merit scholarship for that same niche you're applying for. Um, academic scholarship is more about your overall GPA. We have those, you know, and we also have need based aid and grant money at the university. And then we also have federal aid that we are allowed to give. Um, but there's federal guidelines for that from your FAFSA. But people don't realize that a lot of Division three teams can actually give out more money throughout the entire roster because they're not bound by a set number. Now, we can't base it solely on athletics. So that's people have to understand that. But we can base it on the total student-athlete. So,
0: um, right, so I see a lot of parents say, oh, my kid's Johnny Football, you know, he could get to school just on his football skills alone. So you're saying that will not happen. You have to have a mixture of...
1: No, and, and the, the rules are getting stricter. So Division One, they used to call it the Clearinghouse, now it's called the El- Eligibility Center. And it's a sliding scale to an extent, but you got to have at least a 2-3, two, 2-4 two, in the core and right around 1,000 on the boards. So the lower number like a 970... 960 that is the baseline. Well, what people don't understand is that a 2 3 is not a true 2 3. When they say 2 3 in the core, you have 14 core classes in your curriculum you have to take in their math, sciences, Englishes. In those 14 core classes, your GPA, after you back out, say, phys ed or an art class or those other electives, and you reconfigure the GPA based on only those core classes, a lot of times what happens is, because kids do very well, especially athletes that are in phys ed, they Usually get very good because, and they should. Being a varsity athlete, it changes their their GPA. They might be a two six or two seven overall, but then when you refigure their core, they're barely a two three or 2.2, two two, and they're missing the clearinghouse, or now it's called the eligibility center. And people don't realize that. So academics does play, and even if you can accept a scholarship, and and this past year, the last year actually last year, the NCAA changed the rule of prep schools. So before you could replace the entire school year with prep school. Now you can only replace one core class, which means if you've got, like, a two zero or a 1-9 in the core, and you say you replace an English class, you get an A in it, maybe you figure that, factor that in after that year of prep school.
0: Oh, now, now I heard, like, d- Ivy League schools, is it true that, because you hear people saying, oh, I have a letter of intent, is it true that Ivy League schools don't do letter of intent, they do something a little bit differently?
1: banding. So, like, they have a low band, a middle band, and a high band. They have certain slots. The Ivy Leagues, like the NASDAQ, which are the small Ivies, they do everything based off of need and grades. So, uh, I know at Yale, for example, and I know the coaching staff at Yale, there's there's set dollar amounts based off your income. It's just for the money piece of it. So, like, if you make $60,000 or less of adjusted gross income, you get those school hundred percent free. There's no loans or nothing. If you are between sixty thousand, two hundred thousand dollars just gross income, adjusted gross income it's a sliding scale. Um, and then what what that means is that the difference of what your need is to what the total cost is. So they say you can only afford ten grand a year and the cost is seventy. They will meet everything up to the, the ten grand free money and, and grant money, university aid, and then if you have like uh high enough academics to get a merit scholarship from them, and that'd be very hard because everybody's very intelligent going to say Yale. Um, they might they can stack the difference of that total, but they, they make it very affordable. If you're over two hundred thousand dollars a year a AGI, adjusted gross income, then you have to pay the whole thing. But which most people walking on the earth are not making that AGI because that's a lot of money. That's after deductions, and say you own a business and you're deducting business overhead, so if you make $200,000, dollars you more AGI, you're probably making probably close to two fifty or more, uh, depending on your situation, so it's a lot of, you know, obviously if you can, you have that kind of money coming in, you can afford a year at Yale. Year, yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, right. Now, now you... if
1: you do have, a mate, let's say you have a your class or you're going to a set major, you have a set scholarship, academic scholarship that you meet, they will give you that, you know, if you're over the $200,000, that's all they'll give you.
0: Right, you know, I
1: see. unless you decide to take out private loans or whatnot. But the Ivies are kind of unique, definitely a unique league, really high in football. Um, you know, any type of kid that gets, you know, a, 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 and it's not an offer; it's a, you know, it's a slot. If they're giving you a slot to, to, uh, you know, to, to go to Yale, I, I highly suggest the student have to take that.
0: <laughs> right now, the. Uh, um- we talked about the college fair coming up at Crown Plaza, and a lot of parents, you know, when I talked about it, they asked me, they said, Mike, they, they said, is it just for football players, or is it for any sport, or what if my kid or daughter don't have any kind of uh, sports skills? Can they still go to the college fair, and would they have a chance to speak with somebody, or is it just sports-related?
1: The college fair today at the Crown Plaza is, is, is hosted by the Ryan Football Coaches Association, the high school coaches have an association that put this out of the year, and this is 26th the year. So this is geared towards student-athletes um, for football. So, I mean, all, the only people there will be coaches from each institution. Now, parents can obviously bring, if they have siblings or interest in the school, we could answer some questions, but it's really geared towards student-athletes. Um, and I caution kids, if you, don't, if you don't realize that it's for recruitable student-athletes. Sometimes you get kids to come out. That are interested, but they really don't have the athletic ability to play collegiate football. That's fine, but they have to realize that the real me- the reason they do this is because it's a-, a way to get all the college coaches or a big chunk of them in a room at once, and you can get material from most of them and actually meet them face-to-face.
0: That's it's awesome. Kind of-
1: Business type setting.
0: That's very awesome. Now you follow a lot of Rhode Island um high school sports. When do you start looking at at some students like as potential players? Freshman, sophomore, junior, senior year. Um, so
1: so we we really you know if a kid kid ends up in the media for being like a like a lights out kid, you know in their state, they're fresh, they're fre- at the end of their freshman year. We'll we'll put them on our like, or I call it our kicker. We'll keep a, you know we'll put their name down and say okay. These four freshmen from Rhode Island like just lit it up in high school football, so we we'll just keep an eye on them. Um, and that's about how that's you know, it's pretty much that simple. But from their sophomore year on is when we really start to take a hard look at kids. Um, and then you know we we don't contact them till at least their junior year, but we start looking. Um, now I might have them in camps. I work. I work a lot of one day camps for Division one schools and Division two schools um, around the country. So and mainly in mainly the Northeast, but around the country. So. So that, you know, so we, we will see their younger kids at those camps and they, you know, you build relationships that way from having their camps, but um, we don't start contacting them until they're going into their junior year. Right, that's uh, probably
0: very smart not to contact them in, until they well, go Well, you don't know how when they're going
1: to hit a ceiling. Some kids will hit, a, and hit their ceiling and stop getting bigger, faster, stronger. Some kids will peak early and like, that's it. Some kids will take off like a rocket and then end up getting an FCS or FBS scholarship. Um, some kids you can see, uh, college groups, we can see it. You know, we knew Xavier, I knew Xavier Truss was going to be what he was. I had him <laughs> in camp since his freshman year. And the kid out of Hedrickton going to Georgia, He's committed to Georgia right now.
0: Um, yes, I'm proud of that. him, you know, shout out to him and his family, you know, um, that's a big <laughs> school.
1: Yeah, his mom and dad, Gene and Steven are great people. So, when I had him in camp, I knew, I said, this kid's going to be blah, and people said, You really think so? I said, I've coached a lot of kids over a long time. And I've seen kids that go on in division one. I remember when Bill Blackman was coming out of Hendrickson. I was coaching at Salva Regina. This is 18 years ago now, 17 years ago. And I remember seeing him on a Friday night at Rogers High School. And I watched that kid run, and now he's a man, obviously, you know, playing in the NFL. And I said, this kid is a different animal. And people like, oh, I really think so. I'm like, this kid's going to light the world on fire. And sure enough, he went to BC, had a great career, went in the NFL, won a Super Bowl with the Giants, played for a bunch of teams, had a really good career, and he played this past year in Canada. You know, and he's he played, I think, 12, 14 years in the NFL, and now he's did a year in Canada. He's a great guy and very good advocate for out high school football, Though he lives part-time in Cali, and then, you know, his family, his dad, and his brother here in New England, so his dad actually coached at Tolman as assistant coach. Oh, wow. But I, you could see when you when you get around that level of athletes coaching at the college level and you see the different levels of like where a kid could project, you, you know and it's not a definite sound science, but you could see the I could think he could end up blah. So when I saw, when I saw him as a younger kid, I said, This kid is special so and, you can, and,
0: you can and so, tell by your experience, you know, because you've been doing it for yeah. so long. You can look at some kid and say, you know, he could have some collegiate experience or he could play great on a collegiate yeah. team because you see yeah. him so well, you know, you've kind of been around the game for so long. You, you, you recognize that.
1: Yep. Yeah. And so, you know, I and so when the trust came when, when I, when I said to the dad, he was, the kid was going to a big FBU event, FBU is a program that it's kind of like USA football, but they're, they're just a separate entity, and it's called Football University, and uh, the, he was going to the big-time national game, and they call it the the uh, All-American game. I knew, I said, when he goes to this combine, he goes to this game, is, his phone is going to ring. I, I, I met his, Steve, his dad, Steven, after one of his camps when he was younger, I said, watch what's going to happen. I was telling him on Facebook, privately, I was like, hey, it's your phone's going to ring, man. Watch. And he... Uh, do you really think so? And he was a big kid, but the parents are great people and very humble and appreciative. They were like, yeah, we'll see. And then, and then the minute the, the offers started coming in, it was like wildfire. I remember a message, I said, do you believe me now? And he's like, yeah. He's like, i looked up
0: to like 30-something offers. Now, speaking, speaking about how fast the messages come in, the, Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Rhode Island Boxing. We have a champion, Boo Boo, um, Andre. He just got caught with a firearm, how easy is it to get caught up in, you know, you you go from nothing, some of these kids come from inner city neighborhoods, they don't go from nothing, and then having all these people spotlight on you, how easy is it to get jammed up and lose everything you work so hard to get because people around you want to associate with you because you are somebody, like, how important is it to stay away from the negative people once you become... Once you get to that level
1: Oh I mean once, I mean at the end of the day you look at the you know for example the Aaron Hernandez story, you know um, that example he was around some of the wrong people at the end and you know you know your influences are going to dictate what you do. I mean if you're around good people that have your best interest, the right best interest, doing the right things you're going to do well if you're on the wrong people, you know, you, the percentage of getting caught doing something wrong or something that's just probably not the best thing, best lifestyle, it, it's going to come back to haunt you. I mean, and, that, and that, that you see it in society all the time now. It's, and you, I bet you any person that did something that was probably not the best thing to back map who they're hanging out with and what they were doing, it's probably not the most desirable things. And, and a lot of times these people that initially get caught up in that initially aren't bad people, but what happens is they get around people that are again, aren't doing the right things,
0: and it snowballs. Oh, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, some people even, I even, um, I did a class up the Rhode Island Correction Department, and I would, and some of the people I met up there, I tell people, they're really, they're good people, they just made a horrible mistake. Speaking of mistakes, Kareem Hunt, like, you know, here's what I tell kids, being in the NFL is a privilege. You do something like that, you get caught on video, um... (laughs) Like, it's so easy to get caught up in in stuff like that, but I think you're a role model at that point. Do you agree with the indefinite suspension uh, for Kareem Hunt, Ray Rice's?
1: Here's why I do, is because not only do they get caught, it's filmed. You know, it just adds a layer of just, like, not, you know, the layer of just things, like, the layer of things that go on in the sport of, you know, football and and when you're a you're, you're playing professional football you're you know you have a you're a you know you're in the eye of the media you know and it's very easy it's very easy to get caught up like with that stuff and you know i tell people like you, you don't want to be you don't want to be that guy you don't want to be the guy you know on you know on the news do something that negative plus you know, it looks really bad from a, you, you, your, put your hands on a woman publicly on video, it's just, it just, it's just a bad image, it sends a bad, sends a bad image to, you know, people in the world, in the world generally, to kids, like. No,
0: you're right, I mean, putting your hands on a woman is bad any time, other it's film, but it looks worse on film, you look at so many people in the NFL that had so many bad things happen to him, but it wasn't film, so, you know, you kind of get a reprieve and another chance, but getting off that subject, um, Coach Dwayne Miranda, I mean, I can't say enough about the guy, he does academic awards, gives these kids, like, prime rib for their GPA average, stakes, I mean, how important is that in the message that Coach Miranda gives to these kids at the high school? Because I've seen them around town putting veteran flags up, showing up in the parade, um, volunteering for firemen dinners. When there's something to volunteer, it seems like his kids are the first to raise their hands. And I told him yesterday, I'm proud that my son follows you into battle. And what I meant by battle is, you know... I. I take what your football coach tells you in high school coaches. You take that in, into life, and you take that onto the football field. How important is he to this community now? Oh,
1: he's he's brought he's brought a level of accountability and a level of like professionalism that is pretty impressive. I I played at Wesley in the nineties, and we had a really good guy I was head coach, and 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 we did did wonders as far as off the field in the classroom for kids. He's a good, he was a he was an instructor teacher. Um, Dwayne has brought. I mean, Dwayne has really gotten into such a level of accountability. I mean, the benchmarks he puts together for the team goals, and then they're both academic, social, and football. You know, he has weightlifting goals. He has academic goals. He has social goals. He has community involvement. Um, he's really he's really taken the program to another level. I mean, it's it's impressive um, what he's done and. His, his attention to details—what's impressive. Like a lot of there's coaches out there at the high school level that will literally season ends and he just they, they check out. Not him, other coaches. And there's coaches that there are coaches out there that, in their own way have done what, what he's done, and you see the success now. You see the success of what he's doing. You know, I think you know when you first t- take over the pro- a program like Wesley's, you know, where the coaching form was there a long time. You know, sometimes people are gonna be like a little odd about like who's this new guy who's not from Richmond, from Westerly, and he really did a great job already. I mean, he, he's and, and if, if they keep following the blueprint he's created, they're going to continue to have success. And it's gonna build, you know. They, and, and as long as the people realize, like, follow his business plan, so to speak, and trust me, you'll you'll enjoy the rewards at the end.
0: No, I agree with you. I think Dwayne is like a phenomenal guy. Like I can't say enough about him, and you know he has his critics. And when I when I got a platform and people started listening to me, whether it's WBLQ, or whether it's like people really tried to like get me to turn against him, and and they they bring up oh yeah, but he don't let the underclassmen. Men play, and and I look at that one soccer game at the beginning of the year where the other team wasn't taking out, wasn't taking the the starters out. And I think if Coach Miranda would have put the underclassmen, some kids could have possibly got hurt.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, everybody has their own angle, um, but I think he does a really good job. He, you know, he wants to keep the kids, you know, he knew, not knew, but he probably realized that they had a really good team record wise. And that they had a high percentage of making the playoffs, obviously, with the, with the season they were having. In the first one socket game, he did play a lot of younger guys. He didn't play freshmen, but he played a lot of younger guys in spurts um, to give them reps. I mean, he wasn't just going to pull every single guy that plays and, um, and, and just throw in all kids that have no experience either. I mean, he's not going to do that, you know? And, and people have to understand that. Like, he's a coach, and so he's got to keep his guys ready. To, for battle, because at the end of the day this isn't, you know, youth football is really nice, you wow. have MPRs in some leagues and you don't have others, but varsity high school football, your goal one of your key goals is to win the state title, and to be as competitive as you can be you know, and, and obviously that's not the only goal, obviously there's other, other goals and benchmarks in the program, but you know I thought he did a great job, I mean I was actually at three games live this year as a coach, I was at three games live, which is a lot for a program, because we were interested in a bunch of guys in this senior class, a bunch of underclassmen, come up the pipe. And what they don't realize as a coach is he could have, if he wanted, he could have scored a hundred points in some of these teams. And oh, he didn't. Yeah.
0: No, he you're was, absolutely he was right. He
1: extremely classy in his play calling with his assistants and, and made the game not out of, like, yes, there were some high-scoring games, but what he was able to do If he wants to, that first one soccer game could have been 100 to nothing.
0: No, you're absolutely right. And
1: that's not even, I mean, the Westmore playoff game, if he wanted to, he could have put the pedal to the metal and literally scored 100 points. And he didn't. What he did was he was very classy. He was more conservative late in the game, his play calling, rotating different kids in, um, you know, to make it not be literally 100 to nothing. Now, he... he still beat them by a very, very respectful, a very impressive margin. You know, um, Thanksgiving Day. He called off the. Do- like, he literally could have score 100 points in Thornton. I mean, they were literally so clicking on every cylinder. And that first quarter, they were they were playing very good defense. He he preaches great defense. They do they do a very good job in defense. He controls the football. He does not turn the ball over. Um, he's a very smart football coach, and and uh, he's got a lot of ability as a coach. And He's a good leader. So. I mean, it didn't. The outcome and the how the game played out didn't surprise me at all. You know, when I, I was, you know, I was driving that game um, <clears throat> and my kids and by the half of me, Jen, and she was asking how I thought the game would go, and I said, "The first five minutes will tell you the tale of the tape."
0: And it did. It, it absolutely it did. did. I, Up twenty-eight, nothing. Like the first couple of minutes of the first quarter. And so many games this season was like that, and you're absolutely right, he slowed it down, and even his boys, like, even the the players, I think his leadership kind of rolls over to them, they're respectable, i seen his players chase the referees down the street to shake their hands, so, I mean, I can't say enough about the guy, Um, now, Westerly having the Pee Wee organization, now, I know you played for the high school, right, and did you also play for the Pee Wee organization? I
1: did. I played. I played um, seventh, and eighth grade for Pee Wees, and then I played at Wesley High School. So um, I had a very good experience. My high school career. Uh, my first year at Wesley, I was. We were playing freshman. Or freshman season. I forget, it ended like right after Halloween. And back then, they didn't have the freshman playoffs like they have now. You played your games, and that was it. And then uh, at the time, the head coach, Coach, Lee, uh, actually it was Coach Moreno had brought most of the freshmen up to Varsity. Um, and sometimes we get spotting time on maybe kickoff or whatever, but, you know, very rare, but it would, it would happen actually. And that year we actually went to the Classy State title, the varsity team won it. Uh, we beat, uh, the time we beat Narragansett, uh, when they had the kid Blessing, who's now Narragansett's head coach. Um, so, and we actually lost this Thanksgiving day right at the end in a really good battle against something Soington had a very good team. They won the... Class S, Class S state title over Sacred Heart of the time. That was in the fall of 91. Um, and so it was funny. That game was billed as the... Because Wesley was one of the best teams in the state of Rhode Island, obviously, and Stonja was the best team, one of the best teams in Connecticut. That game was billed as the top teams in each state,
0: squaring off. That know? is awesome, you know. It, I mean, that rivalry, there's so much history to that. On WBLQ, we talked about... Uh, Terry Peterson, who recently passed away. Do you remember, um, Terry?
1: I do not, but I remember hearing stories about him. So I, that's, you know, I remember hearing the stories. Yeah,
0: uh, the story with that that they actually, and Doc on, on the show in the morning said they actually put the slate on the truck and brought it and put it on Sal Gary's front lawn. And they hear Sal tell that story. And anyone that, that hasn't heard it, they can go to the WBLQ podcast page. And it's a great, great segment. We had a lot of great callers coming in you know but um i don't want to hold you up but uh i want to get to um the turf and natural grass we talked about it you know i mean i'm i think we need turf i think it could be great for the for the the town in general the business association i think because now you can have um you can have league games come here you can have competitions band band competitions you played on grass. You coached on grass. You coached on turf. I'm sure you played on turf. What is your opinion on, on turf? Should we have a turf field, and how bad is the fabric that these kids are playing on?
1: Now, I was able to um, be at the sideline level for um, two or three games that came to I was at the sideline with West Warwick and I was at the sideline level with Sock at the first game um, early, in the, early in the year. And then I've been on the field a couple of times, obviously. We've got a bunch of West kids on the roster. We had them over the years. Um, it the pro, the problem with, with with the field, salary jury is that unless they just play five, six home games a year on that field, nothing else touches it and really take care of it, literally daily. It's gonna have it's gonna have the drainage issues. It's gonna have the the issues because of the wear and tear. Um, and you know it's tough to to have if you're gonna have grass, literally no one else can play on. The problem with that is that. Soccer is going to want to play on it, and lacrosse is going to play on it in spring. And, you know, and they're going to want to do other functions. Like, they, I know when you drive by the high school during the day, if you're in the area, kids are walking the track for phys ed class, and they're doing activities on the field sometimes for phys ed classes. They need to, because, you know, they, they have to have that curriculum going on. So if they had field turf, they could do all that and more. Uh, we have field turf at UMass Dartmouth, and we've had field turf at multiple places I've coached at beforehand. And I was never a big field turf guy 15, 20 years ago, but now that I've seen the evolution of field turf and how it can be used, I mean we actually make money off our field. People don't know that. Uh, we rent it out um, for you know decent price. We, we host some of the mass playoff games at our place. Um, other high schools are doing that. Uh, you can host different youth leagues. We're always looking for field turf fields that are nice, late in the year or early in preseason to use for. Um, Games for AYF football—it's another version of youth football. There's Pop Warner, there's P, there's different, there's different leagues and youth around around the Northeast more than people realize. And then the organization FBU and USA Football—they're always looking for a field to have their camps, and those places will play top dollar to use the field. So you know, and it, so it actually can make money, and it's, it's beautiful year round. I mean, it's the same color; it's vibrant year round. The same surface. You know, and uh, we actually had more injuries this year. We played three games away on grass fields, and our most injuries this year, Mike, were actually on a poorly maintained grass field, not our home field, which is only two years old. The field turf, the field turf keeps getting better every every time people put it in because they keep changing and altering with like, the basic design of it. It makes it better every year. It's a better surface. The new design that comes out, just like anything else. And our field is only two years old, and the number of injuries, comparatively, are way down. Well, I was you know, saying, uh,
0: and a lot of people yeah. argue the opposite. A lot of people say, oh, field well, no, turf. Well,
1: people that don't, I like, I, I do this for work. And this is my life. So, I get to see all kinds of fields coaching camps around the country. I coach at UConn's camp, Holy Cross's camp. I coached at, um, Holy Cross has a field turf indoor. UConn's got a field turf indoor. Um, I have coached at, you know, uh, Storybrooks camp. Um, I've been down at URI's grass, which is well-maintained, but the only thing that plays on URI's grass field is U.I. football. They don't practice on it, so they, they only go on it other than during the four, you know, five six home games is like half a dozen times the whole rest of the year, and that that thing's maintained pristinely every day. So, um, you know, you get to see other, you know, I've been at Southern Connecticut's field turf, you know, I've been at Central Connecticut's new field turf, you know, as far as like camps, spending some time in there. So, the you know, has got new field turf, Bishop Henrikins, so like. The ability to host all these camps and people that are coming to Wesley for the summer, Mike, that own summer homes there, rent, would love to come to Wesley for weeks. They rent down at the beach, wherever, and put their kids in a week football summer camp. Especially if it's such a nice, if it was a nice facility like that. I mean, the stands are beautiful, at Wesley. They oh, did a
0: great job. Everything's beautiful. I mean, the 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 weight equipment is um, by Gronk Fitness. You, you know, um, Gronk was down here. I don't know if the donated or, you know, sold it to them, but yeah, the facility's nice, our Coach Miranda, we can't say enough about him, the locker room's prestige, I mean, it's a very, very nice town, and this town is football, for, um, to give the kids, but, but I don't want to take up much of your time, but if you want to give these players a message, man, hype them up a little bit, are there going to be some colleges, because they got a great offensive line, and their defense was pretty good. Will there be some teams looking at these kids?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, we we as college coaches, you know, I'm, I don't plan to go anywhere anytime soon here at UMass, but some guys jump around. That's how college coaching is. A lot, a lot of guys jump around, and at the end of the day, they, they move on and go to bigger places. I have a friend of mine who's coached at 17 different schools in 25 years. Wow. He's coached wow. Division one. He's coached at every level but the NFL. Uh, I have a couple of boys that are actually coaching in the NFL now. Um, so, there are some really quality kids in the West program coming up. I mean, there's, you know, there's some quality seniors in this class. We're recruiting. Um, there's a very good junior and sophomore class coming up. Uh, I haven't really took, I, I know the freshman team had a good year. I haven't really looked at them in depth yet, but I know from my perspective and about 17 other my, 15 to 17 out of my friends coaching a different place across the country, the buzz is out there that, Hey, this is a program that's really on the rise. Um, they have a really good coach, they have a really good team, they have a really good infrastructure, um, it's a good community, good people come from there. That's what people forget is that you want to recruit the total kid, academically, athletically, socially, and they're producing that at Westerly. So I mean, you'll notice, and it's not just because I'm from there, you know, you'll notice that we're going to be, us and the other teams as well, you know, I know that one of the coaches at Springfield is a good friend of mine is very aggressively recruiting a couple of kids from Westerly as well. There were, there's, there's some serious buzz. I mean, URIs in the mix. Um, Bryant now, you know, the new head coach at Brown just came from Bryant, Coach Perry. So there's a lot of eyes on the Wesley program that people don't realize. Um, they're very interested in what Coach Miranda has produced, what he's creating. So, <clears throat> so that's positive. If yeah. I was a kid at Wesley, I'd be like, I'm locking in hardcore of the weight room. I'm locking in hardcore of the teaching in the classroom. I'm realizing my opportunity out there. I don't realize how big it really is. That's you know, and, awesome. and that's the thing. You know, I, I tell every kid, Wesley, do the right things every day. Every day. If you, And I tell kids, social media can be your, your best friend or your worst enemy. Now, social media, every there's some negative connotations about it recently because of, like, you know, the, 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 stu- the stuff that's going on there. But if you use it as a vehicle in a positive way, you know, I tell kids, if you get an A in a physics class or an A in whatever class, post it. Why not? That's not. That's what's wrong with that.
0: No, you're post- absolutely right. If you, if you
1: have a great day, if you have a great day lifting that day, you get a good PR, personal record. You, you, you know anything that's like that. You've taken a step forward positively. Post it. That's you, great, you know, man. Have a good game. Post it. But also remember, be be, be confident in your abilities, but also be humble, because your your goal is to always get better. The minute you stop trying to get better is when you fall backwards. So we tell that to the kids all the time. Listen, you can really sell your stock as a football player if you do all the right things. Now, I've seen kids over the years, especially recently, not at Wesley, but other places, <clears throat> that will post crazy stuff, inappropriate stuff. And I tell them, you know, but they, but they have to, they, they, you know, I tell them, don't do that. That's You're only hurting your stock because you're putting out there your dirty laundry. And I said, everybody's got problems. I get it. Like, it's world, no, nothing in the world is perfect. However, in the world of football, like, recruiting, you're one of a million kids out there, and there's only so many spots. I mean, there's not, you know, and so, you know, and every, you know, everyone wants to go to Division One. that's great, Division One's great level, but college football is college football, Mike. Yeah, right.
0: yeah, you know,
1: absolutely right. There's no right. 13th grade of high school football.
0: No, like, you're absolutely right. Oh.
1: And I'll leave it at this real quick, so, and people you you understand, I always, a lot of times in preseason camp, when we get into camp, um, when parents actually see the upperclassmen for the first time getting ready the first day of camp, getting cleared by the, the trainers, getting fitted for equipment, I always have a mom or a dad or both of multiple kids come up to me and say, Hey, Coach, can I talk to you? Because so they know I'm the recruiting coordinator. I said, Yeah, what's going on? They say, uh, I thought this was Division three football. I said, It is. Why? They say, These are the biggest human beings I've ever seen. I said, Because it's collegiate football. Mm-hmm. And so it <clears throat> It's it really? I mean, there's some big guys in, in Division Three, and really, like, there's Division One caliber bodies in Division Three, more than you would realize. And because there's only so many spots in Division One, but there's multiple Division One caliber athletes and more than that out there. Right. So
0: you can't teach have... size and you can't teach size and power.
1: No, and we we have four Division One transfers here at UMass. And people say, "Well, what, why are they here?" I said, "Well, we're a Tier One National University." We have a law school here. We have a med school here. People people want to be able to do those majors, and sometimes they're not they aren't able to because Division One's time constraints are so strict with travel and requirements. So sometimes they realize, ah, I don't know if I can continue doing this major and play football. And they realize they're not a first round draft pick, so I may want to focus more on the academics.
0: Right. Yeah. And
1: we yeah. Just, we had just had a kid this week, this past week, get voted to academic all district. At some point this week. The academic All-American voting will come out, and he, we, we've gotten word that he has a high percentage chance of really getting it as a true sophomore. He's got a four zero 0 here. It's our free safety. He also got vote, uh, put up for the number one defensive player in the country um, selection, so he's up for a bunch of kids across country. I think there's like 20 of them total that have been nominated for that, and he's the number one defensive player in all of college football.
0: And I must make you feel proud. that gotta make you and the administration yeah, it, feel proud. I mean, he
1: does I mean he does the work, so
0: No, he does.
1: <laughs> you know, he does the work. So, I mean this kid out of the cape, Jake Burkhead. He's a stellar kid. I mean, he does all the right things. I mean if I could clone him in every position, I would never lose a football game. So
0: Nice, uh, wow.
1: he's a and he was a kid that was recruited at the division one level but decided to go division two, II, division three because he well, he was looking for a certain academic program. He's looking to go on to law school and He's doing all the right things, and, and surely will do that. I have no doubt. Um, but he's only a sophomore. He's a two hundred pound free safety, and sophomore, and he's a he's an amazing student athlete and a great person.
0: Next, to get
1: off the field. Uh, biggest demon on the field. <laughs>
0: so, thank you very um, much for uh, for coming on. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, Coach will be on WBLQ Wednesday morning at seven forty. Um. So you could tune into that. But um, if anybody needs to reach you, do you have a Twitter or a Facebook handle that you want to throw out there? Yeah,
1: so my 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 Facebook is just um is just my name um Ryan P McCormack. My Twitter actually, which which is Twitter, kind of has a unique handle because there's different a pretty common last name in the you know world of of uh, Twitter. So it's at UMD Coach MCC. It's Coach Ryan McCormack.
0: Okay, um all right coach, thank you very much and I really appreciate it that I really appreciate you coming on man and giving us your, your time, but good okay. luck and um you know shout out to all your um, players and uh keep doing uh good work. Thank you. All right, good luck man, thank have you. a good day. Take care, Mike. Right, bye, bye bye.